All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 14th day of July 2020. Uh, I do want to remind you that I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, we do want to ke- encourage you to send along your comments, questions, whatever, uh, whatever you might want to say about this show, uh, good or bad or indifferent. We'd like to hear from you. So send those to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable, our sponsors for today's show, Great Bear Resources, Benchmark Metals, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. Well, thanks to our son, Scott Taylor, a software engineer who lives and works in the San Francisco Bay Area, I have been made aware of, the, of an educational need on the part of investors who are now drawn to invest in gold and silver and the companies that produce those monetary metals. Indeed, gold is on a tear now, uh, not so much because the value of gold has risen, but that fiat currencies are in the process of self-destructing. The average price of gold so far this month has hit a new monthly high as denominated in increasingly worthless fiat currencies. That is, they take a, uh, the price each day, uh, the London PM fix, and the average so far this month is above where it was in 2011. That's on a monthly average basis. Now, in this process uh, that is just now beginning, an amazing transfer of wealth, from fiat currencies to honest money in the form of gold and silver is now starting to take place. Many investors, starting with major hedge fund managers who are capable of thinking for themselves, are recognizing an opportunity to not only protect their wealth from the financial and political storms that are getting underway now, but to actually increase their wealth. However, the mainstream investment community has never been much involved or much interested in the mining sector, and those uh, that are covering those sectors basically are selling the stocks to you that they want to get rid of. So independent analysis is very important, and that's what I try to do in many of the other newsletter writers that I work with at the Metals Investor Forum. So anyway, my my son uh, Scott and I are considering teaming up to provide an online course that can help interested investors educate themselves in order to provide, uh, in order to profit uh, from this transfer of wealth that is underway right now. The economic laws of nature are actually forcing the will of politicians and central bankers uh, to do what they have to do, what the, what the laws of nature require them to do ultimately. They get away with fooling Mother Nature for a while, but ultimately uh, that will end. And we're seeing signs now with the gold price and silver prices starting to rise. I think some of that's starting to happen. So if you would have an interest in a course that would help you prepare to invest in gold and silver bullion as well as the mining shares. We talk about them on this show. Yes, we do from time to time. But in order to really understand how you analyze and how you might look into buying those kinds of companies, uh, we're proposing to create a course that would be available uh, to people if there is a sufficient interest in that. Uh, So I think this is the most exciting time that I have seen uh, in the mining sector since I started writing my newsletter way back in 1981. Uh, this, there are some major things taking place right now uh, that we'll be talking uh, to our guests about today and in future, uh, future shows that are most important. Indeed, uh, Alistair McLeod last week was suggesting that March 23rd was a very important date, March 23rd of this year, in which he believes everything has sort of changed towards an inflationary 
uh, direction in which, uh, well, there's just everything is tending to go up right now. Everything tends to rise because so much money is being thrown into the system. They're not allowing anything or they're not allowing um, the, the markets to come down. Of course, ultimately, as I say, Mother Nature will prevail. Uh, and uh, that is what we're going to be talking to Michael Oliver in just a second about. Michael, I know, believes that as well. Um, so in any event, I, I really do hope, if you have an interest, send your, uh, register your interest by sending us an email at questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions, the number four, taylor at, at gmail.com. I've titled today's show, COVID-19 and America's Government-Imposed Decline. Jeff Dice, Michael Oliver, as I said, is with me, and... Uh, Chris Taylor will return right after a first commercial break. Elon Musk now sees the light. He once observed that, quote, if you don't make stuff, there's no stuff. End of quote. Imagine that. Well, he came to understand that the COVID-19 economic crisis is largely state-created, and if government persists in keeping us imprisoned in our homes, it is imposing a certain economic death sentence on America. Jeff Dice will join me during the second half of today's show to discuss how growing totalitarianism funded by dishonest money has placed America on the path to financial, moral, and spiritual ruin. I will ask Jeff, uh, who was Ron Paul's chief, exa- chief, chief of staff when Ron was running for president, uh, what he believes is required uh, to restore prosperity to America and how each of us uh, might, uh, m- might try to protect ourselves and even increase uh, our wealth so we can help those around us. By understanding the nature of central bank-orchestrated money carnage and market disruptions, this program has sought to protect listeners by advocating ownership of gold and gold shares. And as I mentioned, Chris Taylor will be with me right after the first commercial break to discuss Great Bear's amazing gold discovery uh, in Red Lake, uh, at the, in the Red Lake District of Canada. That Dixie Lake project just keeps getting more and more amazing, and we'll talk to Chris about the latest drill results and what they mean when he comes uh, with us on the show right after the first commercial break. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is here. Once again, thanks for joining me, Michael. We missed you last week, that's for sure. Well, it's great times we're in. Great times. (laughs) The fundamental fundamentals are falling into place. I guess they are, if you've been an honest money advocate over the years, for sure they are. Uh, It doesn't give me any pleasure to say that because of the wreckage and the the carnage that is uh, seeming to take place as a result of it. But in any event, in your 360-degree weekend report, you focused almost entirely on the equity markets, which seem to continue to defy the natural laws of gravity. I mean, it's just an economy that's arguably in a depression, and yet we see stock prices rise, and it seems like there's no end to it. But what are your thoughts about the U.S. equity markets right now? Well, I, it, it's, it's a very diverse market. Okay, first off, we have focused at MSA on our, on our all-asset category report. <clears throat> we get about five or six reports a week, including that 360 weekend report. We have decided to focus on three symbols, Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple. And if you take those three symbols, which constitute about 15% of the S&P 500, and I think uh, about a quarter of the NASDAQ 100, those three symbols alone, okay, can heavily distort an index's action. Because when we look at the various sectors of the U.S. economy, uh, as represented by ETFs such as XLI, which is the ETF of industrial stocks, uh, or KBE, which is an ETF of banking sector, mm-hmm. and various other sectors. If you look at them on a price chart or in momentum and compare them to what the NASDAQ 100 or what Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft have just done, there's no, they're like in a different world. In mm-hmm. uh, 1929, after the crash, there was a major multi-month, five, six-month rally that took stocks well back up toward the highs, didn't achieve new highs, and President Hoover said, it's all over, it's a V-bottom recovery. He didn't use that term, but, you know, effectively that's what yeah. he announced. And then the market rolled over and went into disaster for the next two years in a full, full wipeout. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you look at the charts of, let's say, the banking sector index since the crash in the first quarter of this year and the rally that's mm-hmm. occurred since, or look at the XLI ETF of the industrial sector stocks, or even look at the S&P, they haven't gone to new highs. 
Mm-hmm. They've come back, most of them, about halfway back to the highs. And they've stalled over the last month or so. Actually, even the S&P 500, you can draw a line sideways since early June. And you're below there. And you've been fumbling around sideways. Oh, yeah, there's a good strong days here and there. But basically, there's not been any money made on the upside in the S&P 500 for the last uh, two months almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's stalled. So pay attention because we've had a yeah. good rally from March, April, May, June, July. It's five months now since the mm-hmm. low. We've had this rebound very much like the 1929, early 1930 rally prior to the onset of the arduous bear market. Yeah. Not a crash, but just a yeah. down, down, down for a couple of years. Yeah. Now, the NASDAQ 100 has distorted everything because of those three stocks. Mm-hmm. And there's a few others that tail behind them, but basically you can take those three stocks and they have messed with people's minds <laughs> and messed with some charts. So that we hear every day on Fox Business News, which of course is pro-Trump, oh, the market's making new highs, this is glorious. Yeah. And so it's mainly three stocks. Now, mm-hmm. what just happened yesterday, I'm going to stick my neck out. I don't do gut trades. No. MSA uses metrics. We have to break certain numbers, and those numbers have not been broken, but they're not far below. Those three leader stocks, we call them, have mm-hmm. certain numbers below that aren't that far below that if they break them, in our view, it's over. They're headed mm-hmm. down, and mm-hmm. in a big way. So the leadership of the market will cave, and at that point, I think they'll join what's going on in, like, the banking sector. Uh, S&P steady up today. Banking sector is down 2.5%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you got to well, keep watching those banks. It's easy to see why that might be happening with the massive bankruptcies that are on their way, especially in the real estate On their real way, yeah, because they're only yeah. beginning. Because, you know, what it yeah. takes to get bankrupt is at least 90 days past due type of thing. And right. Right. a lot of businesses haven't gone 90 days past due until right about now. Um, and so a lot of this bankruptcy wave, I think, is going to hit before the election. And I think it's going to impact the stock market. Uh, and I suspect, fundamentally speaking here, that people are going to start thinking about something they haven't been talking about, and that is, what if uh, Biden wins? I think he's going to win, unless yeah. he does something totally stupid. Uh, I think it's largely dependent on one state, Florida. Mm-hmm. And right now, Trump is not doing well in Florida. I think if Trump loses Florida, it's all over. And yeah. he is losing dramatically against the elderly population in Florida, which went dramatically for him in the last yeah. election. Yeah. And so if that state is gone, the Electoral College, is, it's a wipeout. And right. now, then the market has to decide, okay, do we like this new situation where he wants to, Biden wants to tax, the capital gains tax is 60%. Yeah. Okay, here you are in a risky up-down market as a stock investor, and even if you're right, he's going to take 60%. Mm-hmm. Think twice, is that really where you want to be? Okay. Also, he wants to tax precious metals purchases, coin purchases, bullion purchases. So if you want to buy gold, it might be a good time to buy it, or silver, you might be a good time to buy it before he gets, uh, takes the oath of office. Mm-hmm. So All there's right. a lot so of events means- going on here that aren't being discussed, and I think that are actually en route to becoming reality. Well, I don't Silver disagree, the other day from our you, though, Michael. We're just about Go out ahead. of time here because I, I took more than I should of myself here, but I want to ask you, how is gold looking now? I mean, it seems to be taking a bit of a breather here, huh? It, it looks great. It's at five days down from the top day, and today's settlement price is all of about seven bucks off the top day. Close. <laughs> of the top day. Okay, now, and silver's the big issue. Silver blew through an annual momentum structure that we've been watching for many months. It blew mm-hmm. through it yesterday. It tells us that silver is now ready to engage upside in a way that's more dramatic than gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it certainly looks like it. Uh, and and the gold shares, uh, the gold uh, GDXJ, GDX, uh, GDXJ. They're behaving quite well. GDXJ? I think they will outperform gold as well, and uh, they already are to some extent. But there's a few other hurdles they need to cross. We're monitoring them for the official breakout on the relative performance. Uh, but yes, I think that the better place to be in the coming year is going to be in the miners and in silver as opposed to gold. But gold is the mama, you know, yeah, and it's behaving absolutely. quite well. All righty. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for being with us again. Uh, my apologies for cutting you off. I would like to have you on more, but uh, we'll, we'll look to talk to you in a couple of weeks again. Thank you, Jay. 
All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because Chris Taylor is going to be with me. He's the president of Great Bear Resources. Wow, you talk about a company that is absolutely amazing in its, in its discovery, the Dixie Project uh, in Canada. Just an amazing story. And they, uh, they just keep coming out with, with more great intersections, more great drill results, uh, high-grade gold at depth and uh, a long strike. So we'll be right back with Chris Taylor right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Chris Taylor with us. Chris uh, is the president of Great Bear Resources. He's been on the show a number of times before. He is a, a, an economic geologist. He's focused on structures, and, uh, boy, is he, uh, has he found some amazing structures on the project that he's working on, the Dixie Project, on, on behalf of Great Bear. Thanks for joining me again, Chris. It's great to speak with you today, Jay. It's always great to have you. It's always great to have someone like you on that just keeps making money for shareholders. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing time, and you have one of the most amazing projects. It's just, it just uh, dumbfounds me. Every time I see more, more drill results coming out, I just say, wow. I mean, I, it's just pretty amazing. On July 7th, you reported on several more drill holes uh, on your Dixie project, one of which intersected 10.06 grams of gold over 31 31.25 meters. Uh, results have recently confirmed your contention. You've, all along, you've been contending that mineralization is stronger at depth, and, and I guess you're seeing that, right? And, and so, what can you tell us about this last uh, this last drill report, and, and where does the project stand right now in your mind? Well, it, it's amazing. I was listening to your guest Michael uh, speaking just a few minutes ago, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I find it funny. We're in a bubble here in Great Bear where our shareholders are doing very, very well against the grain of, you know, the, the general market, which is really struggling. And I think, yeah. like, you know, we've effectively just since uh, February of this year, we've more than doubled uh, the size of the company. So, you know, I, I don't know of too many other investments where shareholders have doubled their money since February. So it's just a function of these numbers that we keep uh, intersecting with the drill rig. And like you mentioned, Jay, uh, some of the stuff, like one of the ways, like my background is mining, and one of the ways that I think about it is what's the what's the value, the, the dollar value of the commodity you have in the ground. And some mm-hmm. of these numbers that we've generated here recently, like 10 grams over 31 meters, so effectively that's <laughs> a third of an ounce over 100 feet, roughly. Yeah. So you got to yeah. think the value of that is what is that? That's about $500 rock, 100 feet of $5 rock for $500 yeah. rock. I mean, um, the, the potential profitability uh, when we've got this thing drilled off just has few kind of parallels. And, you know, you asked me about numbers, like specifically, you know, we're starting to see these wide intervals of multigram mineralization flanking, uh, you know, these, these um, multimeter intervals of high-grade gold. And, like, some of the ones, like we had... Four grams over 80 meters. Like, if you think about that, that's four, about $200 rock 
over 80 meters. I mean, these are numbers that just you don't see them commonly in no. our industry. And, you know, you, we're talking about increasing depth, increasing depth, but the reality is all these numbers were still only drilling down to three or 400 meters vertical depth. So they're still uh, potentially within surface bulk tonnage mining, um, you know, areas, which is absolutely incredible. So, yeah, we're very happy with the way things are going, Jay. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you, um, in spite of COVID-19, you still had three drill rigs running. You explained to us the last time you were on the show how you were able to do that. You had locals there that could drill. You stayed in your, uh, in your home in, in Vancouver while the people there in uh, Ontario could continue working. So what have, what have you accomplished? I mean, you just said in share price, but in terms of the project since February or so, March, I guess, when you started drilling, uh, you did it with three drill rigs. Now you have five. You're, you're adding two more. Uh, what yeah. did you accomplish during, you know, what all have you accomplished in terms of, let's say, uh, progress on the project towards some kind of economic viability? What, what have you achieved since March until now, and what do you think you can do with five rigs? Well, this is it, right? Uh, the, the project, the company has done exceedingly well off of three drill rigs, which is, you know, a modest number. It's, it's still one of the largest drill programs in Canada, but that's at reduced capacity. So despite the fact that we've had all this uh, incredible growth in share price, company value, and results, that's, that was that reduced uh, drill capacity. So going back up to five rigs now, it basically, it's almost a 70% increase in our drill productivity, which means the numbers, the drill results are going to be coming faster than they ever have before. We had a brief period of a couple of months prior to COVID when we were operating with five drill rigs and then had to reduce uh, the levels in order to keep only local staff on site and protect everybody from infection and their, their own concerns. And that's been very effective. But now going back up to that capacity, we should be able to generate the results that will give us that initial economic look at the project uh, sometime during 2021. And I would love to get it done quicker. If I could snap my fingers and we could have all the results in hand, it would be like um, uh, a dream come true, a miracle come true. But the system that we found is so big uh, because it's over five kilometers long. Uh, we've got drilling now over 11 kilometers. We're drilling down to about uh, the deepest holes, about 800 meters, and we're finding new zones uh, continuously as we do this work. It's just going to take all this time until sometime next year to get that resource out, that initial maiden resource. But in the meantime, there'll be more drill results coming out of Great Bear than any other company that I'm aware of, which is really, yeah. it keeps us in that sort of pole position, that leadership, leadership position in the industry where the numbers just keep coming. And that's something that ultimately, if the value's in the ground, the value gets reflected in the share price. That's a very simple formula and we have all the money we need to do it, and we're now going back up to capacity really like we've never seen before. Yeah, and I, certainly there are people that are, uh, you know, industry experts, uh, analysts that follow these drill results very closely, and they must be gaining some sort of an appreciation for value in the ground, you know, long before you come out with your, uh, with your maiden resource, I suppose, Chris. And I, I have to think you must be hearing from some of these people. Yeah, we, we are. We're seeing independent analyst reports issued uh, continually on the company, and they generally give an estimate somewhere, which is a pretty widespread at the moment, but somewhere they think our first resource, will, which won't be the entire system, it'll just be what we can get done in the first two years of drilling, but their estimates are between about 4 and 10 million ounces at that point. And that means that even uh, two years into our drill program on this LP fault, um, if they're correct, and if we show it with the drilling, it'll be one of the largest new gold discoveries of, in the world in many years. And it's our job to show that that's just the beginning of the process. That's really only the shallow part of the system. Uh, that's only over a small area. The total size of the system, as I mentioned, we've got gold drilled over 11 kilometers, and we have all these untested targets. So um, as exciting as it's been, it's still very early days with the company, and all that growth is still ahead of us. That's pretty incredible. I mean, and then you also have to think about in terms of the economics, uh, of, of you know, the grades. You have broad you have broad zones of mineralization, but you have spikes of very high grade 
So it's going to really be interesting to see how the numbers finally come out in terms of the average grades, but great mining widths, I would think, Chris. And I know uh, our friend uh, Eric Coffin responding uh, to the last uh, news release, he said, um, and I quote, he says, while the overall system does seem to be thickening at depth on several sections, I am more focused on the higher-grade intercepts within the broader halo of low-grade mineralization. I am assuming it's the higher-grade sections that will be relevant as Great Bear pushes deeper with its drill holes, end of quote. Well, I'm thinking at depth that would make sense, but then Eric goes on to say, look, you know, don't get worried about this. When I say narrow narrow zones, I'm not talking about really narrow zones. I'm talking about several meters, perhaps. So uh, I want to ask you, Chris, do you think that, I mean, you're near surface. Do you envision this? I know it's early days and you can't really say yet, but... Do you envision uh, an open pit scenario to start with here, possibly, and then underground later? That's certainly a, a possible uh, outcome. There are different ways to bulk tonnage mine something. Uh, the Australians, mm-hmm. for, for, for one point, they're very good at underground bulk tonnage mining, and they'll typically go uh, hundreds of meters or, or you know, kilometers deep uh, on material that would be the equivalent to you know, three, four grams per ton gold. Uh, we have significant widths of that, uh, you know, many tens of meters. And it's possible. Like, at some point, I'm absolutely sure that there will be bulk tonnage mining at some point. It could be open pit. It could be bulk tonnage underground. And certainly mm-hmm. below that, you're going to be following these high-grade zones to depth. In comparison to the other mines in the district, those mines go five times deeper than we've already drilled. And those yeah. zones are skinnier than what we have. So our zones are wider they have high-grade gold, and they go right to surface than any of the competing deposits. There's 30 million ounces of gold produced in the Red Lake area. Um, some of those zones go to surface. Many of those zones at other projects begin at more than a kilometer or even more than a mile vertical depth. <laughs> and basically, we're seeing comparable material and this big bulk tonnage system surrounding that right at surface. So to get an apples-to-apples comparison you really have to stack us up based on some of the biggest open pit type mines in Canada, like Canadian Malarctic, the detour system. Mm-hmm. The difference being that we have high grade gold going to surface in a bigger area and higher grades than either of those do. So we have the size of a big low grade system, but we have the grade of a big high grade system and we have them both going right to surface. And that's really why it's such an exceptional discovery. Yeah, and Lake District, of course, is uh, is nothing to sneeze at. It was actually uh, the Red Lake Mine that was the company maker for Gold Corp. And uh, and what you're saying is you're looking at something that could be, you know, it's a lot different. Of course, it's it's a new kind of mineralization. Uh, but Chris, you found also, I think, a new a new uh, discovery that you made that's more the tradi- along the traditional lines of what you first found there, the Dixie Limb and the Hinge, and you found something new called the Aerozone that is northwest of ways. Uh, so you have kind of mineralization, which is more the traditional Red Lake mineralization as well. I mean, are you, uh, with five rigs, are you going to be doing some, are you at all focused on that sort of thing? Because it seems to me, if I were in your shoes, I'd say, who needs another discovery at this stage? I mean, what we need, <laughs> you, you have so darn much already. You, you know, I'd, I'd just like to see what the economics are looking like over that five-kilometer stretch of the LP zone, but then you have these other other targets that are just amazing as well. It's incredible. Well, that's a great point, Jay. Like probably on a rough estimate, about 90% of the drilling that's going to occur. Uh, so nine out of every 10 holes will be on this big LP fault discovery. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some, some of that drilling will be on the Dixie Lemon Hinge Zone, but most of it on the LP. But we'll keep at least one rig constantly testing new targets across the project. Interesting. So yeah. far, we've only tested uh, probably about 20% of the property, and that means, say, 80% of the targets on the project haven't ever had a drill rig in them. And those are the same mm-hmm. types of targets, like the Aerozone, the Dixie Limb, the Hinge, even, uh, you know, parallels to the LP Fault that we've had huge success in already, and they're just sitting there showing the same kind of geophysical signatures, the same sort of folds, the same sort of geological targets that we've had huge success in, and they're just waiting to be uh, to have a rig poked into them. The arrow discovery, we found it on the first drill hole into that target, and it's a incredible of the hinge zone type discovery. And it's one hole. The chance of hitting high-grade gold like that on a random drill hole 
statistically is about zero. But what it's showing you here on our project is that the system is so big that all these different horizons uh, are getting mineralized and there's so many targets to explore. You still need to have about 10% of your ongoing work on the green the green fields or the blue sky, however you want to describe it, exploration. And even though you've got a huge new zone discovery, you could be just meters away from another high-grade Red Lake-style discovery, and that's what we're seeing. There looks like there's a potential trend of these types of Red Lake targets beside the big LP fault. Uh, It's very exciting for us. The geologists are living in a state where every day is a little bit like Christmas. They go into the core shack, (laughs) and they're a lot like kids on Christmas morning. The core comes in, and it's like unwrapping a present. And, uh, you know, it's all the visible gold. It's a visible gold system. It's just beautiful seeing that stuff come out of the ground. That's really amazing. We're out of time, Chris, but I want to ask you, you've got money to go through this year and into 20, uh, into next year, I think, right? Or all the way through next year, Actually, possibly. With the rigs that we have, even with five rigs, we could drill all the way into 2022. So uh, wow. that's uh, a lot of runway <laughs> ahead before we have to finance again. So that unless means you, want you don't have you're not forced to... Program. Yeah, you're not forced to dilute like so many of these companies are. What, a, what an amazing story. Chris, thank you so much for being with us again. It's just really, really fascinating, and I'm so glad uh, that uh, I picked your shares up so much earlier, long time ago. Thank you for all you've done, and uh, we'll look to have you on again sometime soon, I hope. Excellent, Jay. All right. Thank you, Chris. All right, folks, so we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Jeff Dice will be with us, and we're going to talk about COVID-19 uh, and the impact that's having on the policies that are being made and what that impact is having on Americans in our economy. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Deist. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google. Play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer flagship Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions for taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again a friend, Jeff Dice. Jeff is the president of the Mises Institute. That's an educational organization dedicated to promoting Austrian economics, freedom, and peace. Jeff previously uh, was the chief of staff to Congressman Ron Paul when he was running for president, and his background as a tax attorney, um, and he has represented high net worth people in the past, partnerships and the like, and he is a real uh, lover of freedom and limited government, and of course that's uh, that's a good reason why he was uh, why he worked for Ron Paul. Jeff, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me, Jay. Always good to hear your voice and to hear what you have to say uh, from the Mises Institute. Uh, and uh, just uh, it's Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org, where people can go. Uh, there's lots of articles that are written there. You have a podcast. You have, I think. Um, various web, webcast, uh, various things that you do there uh, in which you interview people who, are, uh, who really are in favor of limited government, freedom for the individual, which is, of course, something that people seem not to hold in high esteem these days. They would just assume we all just 
you know, goose step together down the down the pike. I guess it seems that that way. And we're all supposed to think alike and be alike, and uh, we're supposed to have the same color of skin, apparently. And we're supposed to, uh, you know, we're supposed to all wear masks and just behave in a monolithic manner. It seems so. I, I have to. I, I want to focus a lot on your. Uh, you you put out. I think it's almost monthly or every other every couple of months. I guess it's the Austrian. Uh, this is the May-June uh, edition that focused on a corona crisis uh, that we're, that we're uh, facing now. And I, I just wanted to pick up uh, from the Austrian magazine, and you, you wrote, and I would quote here, Jeff, Elon Musk, longtime recipient of federal green energy subsidies, has seen the light. Like millions of other Americans, including the editorial staff of Mises.org, way back in March, he now understands that COVID-19 crisis largely as a state-created insanity, end of quote. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, I don't know how many people listening to this show would find that as a, an outlandish statement. I don't, but uh, certainly the mainstream media would find that statement offensive. But just uh, maybe you can tell our listeners, uh, for those that might not be aware, what Mr. Musk went through with the state of California and why he, uh, what caused him to see the light. Well, he's an interesting guy and has a lot of his own personal wealth and, of course, his public company shareholder wealth tied up, among other things, in his production facility in Fremont, California, a little south of Oakland. And when that facility was shut down, in effect, by order of the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, along with all kinds of other businesses, uh, you know, that put a huge hurting on his bottom line, needless to say, and also on some promises he had made to customers and investors about how many, especially of the, the, the Tesla 3 model, I can't recall what it's called, it's the smaller, more affordable Tesla. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he has every right to be angry about that. I have to poke a little fun at him because he has uh, gotten a lot of so-called green energy subsidies via the federal government, which has made buying a Tesla something less than a pure a market economic transaction because you get a tax credit that makes it uh, you know more competitive than buying a, some sort of other luxury upscale combustion engine car. But he's clearly brilliant, uh, you know what he's doing with SpaceX and and all that. Uh, so I, I think what it comes down to is we have to understand that regardless of the virus and its uh, transmittability and its potential lethality. The response to it, the crisis, the economic crisis, is something that was uh, very much baked into the cake before the virus came along and also something that's very much been caused by the government's reaction to this virus. So we have to sort of distinguish in our minds between the fact that there's an unpleasant health hazard out there and the fact that there is a far worse and more damaging, in my opinion, government response. So they're two very different things. And I don't want government officials, whether that's Trump or people at the Treasury or people in Congress or certainly not people at the central bank to get away with blaming the, you know, this crash that is we're experiencing in slow motion uh, on COVID because a lot of the problems in excessive debt, huge amounts of deficit spending were already baked in before COVID ever came along. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, it's a convenient uh, excuse, I suppose, and people that don't really understand, uh, you know, the nature of our economic system and how Keynesian economics has been distorting everything through the use of, uh, you know, let's say, the dilution of, of, of money, the, um, the debasement of the currency, which is certainly, and, and the piling of debt, which, of course, this is, you know, the currency is, is manufactured from debt, so we have debt that is growing much more rapidly than income over, over many decades now. Ever since we went off the international gold standard, you can see it on charts. And you can see the redistribution of income from average people, um, you know, people that made a decent salary like those I grew up with in Ohio and the Midwest in the 1960s and even 1970s, but after that. Um, so, Jeff, I mean, how, how, you know, we're always told the mainstream media has us all believing, you know, they make you feel guilty if you don't put a mask on when you go outside, when you're walking, even if you're not around people. You know, they just use, oh, my goodness, that person's wearing a mask. Good man. That one's not heretic. You know, and it's just this sort of sense of 
a police state mentality that I can never remember having gone through in the past, to this extent at least. Well, they love politicizing everything. We've got global warming believers versus denialists. We have Trumpers versus anti-Trumpers. We have vaccine people versus anti-vaxxers. You know, it just goes on and on and on. And so now they've created a new thing, mask wearers versus mask deniers. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's no end to the politics of all this. I would only submit that if masks really work, then why don't we reopen everything with the one caveat that we all wear them? Mm-hmm. In other words, let's if we're going to have the damn masks, then open Yankee Stadium and let's have uh, school yeah. in the fall and let's get back to restaurants and let's all go back to work and wear the masks. But, but that's not what they're saying. They're saying wear the masks and we remain shut down and we and we don't open schools in the fall and we don't have football in the fall and all these things. So, you know, there's there's a lot going on here, but the because of the gross politicization of our country prior to this epidemic coming along, we're falling very neatly into those same politicized categories now. And they, they, it was inescapable, I think. And mm-hmm. so now we're, we're in this very nasty situation where even within families, there's discord over how severe the virus is. I'm certainly on the side that says or argues the virus is wildly overhyped. It is largely a, uh, an existential danger to older people or to people with certain uh, immune compromised situations. Mm-hmm. And that for everyone else under about age 50, there are lots of sensible ways to simply have life as normal. We could be washing our hands a little more, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, there are plenty of people who disagree with that, but the question is, who bears the burden of proof? And I would argue that people who want to remake society and shut down the economy and risk a global deep recession or depression bear the overwhelming burden of proof. And if you believe the famous Stanford epidemiologist who's been making headlines lately, you know, for people under 70, this virus is no more lethal uh, than other strains of flu, which we experience year in, year out, and somehow manage to get by, uh, you know, and, and kill some people, but we live with it in society. So it's it's a tough time when everyone's at each other's throats to to make rational arguments and, and rational decisions, because a lot of this comes down to get Trump. And I think yeah, a lot of sure. folks on the left... However well-meaning they may be with respect to the virus and not wanting people to be harmed, you know, f- see an advantage to keeping America in turmoil via lockdowns, not going back to school, not having fall sports, and that that turmoil will, will make people not vote for Trump because, uh, I mean, it's astonishing he's even president at this point he's, because, why, yeah. you know, the, the economy's in the, in the tank, we have... Uh, uh, riots in the streets, statues being pulled down. I mean, let's face it: if you voted for Donald Trump, uh, as to, in the, with the thought that he would be a bodyguard of sorts against the worst excess, excesses of the left, well, he's not doing it. No, he's certainly not. Um, Maybe some tough rhetoric at times, but he doesn't, uh, for whatever reasons. Want to ask you, Jeff? I think one of the ideas in your magazine was the benefits of a free society during a pandemic. Let's say we hadn't locked down. Let's say that we had followed the Sweden, the Swedish model. And you know, I mean, I have an article in front of me that says, "Looks like Sweden was right after all." And but you know, for for that argument, there's as many people that will stand up and say, "Absolutely not," because. You know, the idea that life is of paramount importance, but people don't seem to really recognize the danger and the damages that are caused that are less visibly or less directly related to, you know, dying from the, uh, from the virus. So let's say that we hadn't, let's say that we had followed the Swedish model. What, how do you think we would be, I mean, we were in trouble before, that's your point, that our economy was in big trouble anyway, right? So... I don't know how much better off we might have been. I mean, we're, I think we're, we're destined for some kind of a major decline anyway in the economy. I believe that before COVID came along. But let's say we hadn't shut down everything the way we did. Would we be better off? I think we would be. I think we would find that like other viruses, uh, people are exposed to it. They might get slightly ill for a day or two and, or not at all. And then life moves on and we begin developing antibodies. I mean, that's what happens with uh, with bacterial 
infections and viral infections for the most part is that you your body's exposed to it and you live with it, you coexist with it, and your immune system functions at least to the extent that you don't get too, too sick. What we really ought to be worrying about is hospitalizations and deaths. That's mm-hmm. that's the key. That case is not mere infections. An infection is nothing more than a term for someone who's been exposed to it. Uh, yeah. If you if you swab the inside of my throat right now, you'd find staph. And if I fall down the stairs and twist my ankle and go to the to the ER, am I in the ER because I have a staph infection? No, uh, I'm in the ER because no. I twisted and broke my ankle. So I think I think Sweden did it right. I think um, there's no perfect in a situation like this. Uh, humans have been dealing with viruses for for millennia, and of course they've gone to work and remained open through all kinds of things like. Uh, huge world wars, uh, the great plagues. Uh, so th- this is a situation where we're overgoverned, and we just lack common sense to deal with things. Yeah, well, certainly I know. Looking looking at Sweden and looking at my wife's home country of Portugal, but roughly the same population. Sweden has had three or four times more deaths per million people uh, than uh, than Portugal. But Portugal locked down. I mean, to the point where if you were out on the street. You know, cops would stop you and say, or if there were two people in a car, sometimes they would get upset and they would make you go home or whatever. So, um, but the numbers are lower. So maybe maybe they've saved some deaths in Portugal as a result of it. But we don't know what the cost in Portugal is to the economy. That's harder to measure, isn't it? Well, the cost to the economy is going to cause deaths, too, in terms of depression, yeah. weight gain, suicide, uh, medical treatment, which has gone undone because no one wants to go near a hospital, uh, tumors not found, surgeries not uh, performed, uh, alcoholism, depression, drug abuse. So there are countless unseen or less visible ways in, in which, by which locking people down causes death and and uh, health concerns as well. So it's not quite as black and white as that. I'm not sure that I believe all of the Swedish COVID death numbers. In, in other words, uh, there's, there's some evidence that m- some of the deaths being attributed to COVID are actually comorbidities, things that uh, uh-huh. you know, someone, someone died with the virus present rather than it's of the virus. Yeah. So that's, that's a little beyond my pay grade. I'm just saying I'm, I'm a little skeptical with regard to the deaths per million. Uh, but the the bottom line here is that it, we live in the United States, as Judge Napolitano talked about last night, that the goal of the United States government is not to provide perfect safety to anyone. Uh, mm-hmm. due, due process applies even uh, when things are ugly, like during a war or uh, a terrorist attack or a pandemic. And so before government can simply force us to remain home, it needs to have some sort of showing of particular harm by a particular individual and have some sort of process, a hearing or if not an outright trial. And of course, that's impossible to do for 320 million people. And and I think the answer to that is that um, there's a reason why it's impossible, that this is outside the government's uh, sphere of influence uh, or, or authority under the Constitution. And so what we have seen a little of, which is gives me a glimmer of hope, is that we've seen some federalism. We've not only had different countries uh, going at the virus very differently in, in terms of their approach, but we've also had states within the U.S. Uh, going at things very differently. Like if you compare New York State to South Dakota, where Governor Kristi Noem has basically kept things about as normal as they could be. So, um, y- you know, we're going to have some, uh, w- when this is all said and done, we're going to be able to sort of look back and see a scoreboard of sorts. Yeah, exactly. And you pointed out uh, hospitalizations and deaths, which are statistics that we don't hear very much. The only time we hear about it in the mainstream media is when the hospitalizations are approaching capacity. Uh, but we don't hear about deaths per, you know, uh, relative to the number of cases. That, that seems to be, they seem to be declining dramatically since the, since the first. Uh, Jeff, with just a couple of minutes left here, I want to ask you uh, one of the I think one of the short articles that you wrote in the magazine, how to think about the Fed now in this environment, what are you expecting from the Fed? What, what do you, are you expecting and, and how should people sort of plan their lives around that? Because the Fed is so powerful. It can, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, when I own shares of stock, 
and all of a sudden the company decides to issue twice as many shares. Now all of a sudden my shares are worth half as much as they were before. That's what the government is. That's what the Fed is doing to us all the time, to people that don't have a way of making money fast enough to keep up with the Fed. Anyway, what are your thoughts about the Fed now as we, uh, you know, as we go forward with this, with this problem? Well, we've seen what Jerome Powell is. When the chips were down, he's another Bernanke, another um, maestro, Alan Greenspan, and he'll do whatever it takes to keep equity markets propped up via more liquidity. That's the buzzword of today. But in this case, in this go-around, not just equity markets, bond markets, all kinds of markets, uh, municipal Mm -hmm. bond markets, credit markets. So the difference between this go-round and 2008, other than degree, which is an important difference, magnitude, is that it, they're buying, the, the Fed is buying different kinds of assets, or at least uh, securitizing, lending against different kinds of assets. So mm-hmm. all, all of the money is not just going to bank reserves of commercial banks in exchange for treasury debt or mortgage-backed securities. A lot of this money is going out into the world. And so I think mm-hmm. that's a fundamental difference. But this guy, Jerome Powell, will absolutely take the balance sheet to 10 trillion dollars. I don't think there's any question about that if he if yeah. he must because we saw last fall before there was any real crisis when during the repo uh, period yeah, uh, exactly. September October yeah. when things were very very nervous and even after 10 years more than 10 years yeah. of of just unprecedented QE we still had commercial banks without enough liquidity to deal with each other overnight are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. So no it's th- obviously this, the system I mean, is broken. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to have we're going to have to leave it go at that, Jeff, because we're just out of time. But I mean, the system is broken, uh, and we know why. Austrian economists can understand this, and they've been predicting it, uh, and the Mises Institute has been predicting it for years. Folks, do yourselves a favor: go to Mises.org, catch up with Jeff and a lot of intellectuals, people that are really providing practical information as well. There at Mises.org, take advantage of this resource. It's very very important. It will be helpful to you. Uh, We'll have to leave it go at that, Jeff. Thank you so much for being with us again. Well, folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, Bob Moriarty is going to be with me to discuss a recent new booklet titled Common Sense 2.0. And it's a booklet that is uh, updating the case for renewal of the values upon which our country was founded. Very important. Bob Moriarty, always a very interesting and informative guest, so uh, you're not going to miss that. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Benchmark Metals is a gold-silver exploration company that is embarking on its largest program to date on the Lawyers Project with up to 50,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling planned in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group management team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success.